So we're, we're wrapping up the series today on purpose that we've been talking. It's a short series, three weeks, through the eyes of Elijah. And, uh, you know, it's just so cool when you see God do just exponentially more with something than you ever thought possible. And I pray and hope that that's been the case with you all, that uh, this series has blessed you, challenged you, encouraged you. And we're gonna continue in that today. If you've missed the last couple weeks, you can go online and watch those sermons. But what we talked about last week was really, um, you know, this journey of the purpose that we're on and, and what we do when, when God stopped us in our journey. How do we behave when he says, okay, stop? And, and what the point of all that is and how, you know, our purpose is ultimately, our, our ultimate purpose is to grow closer to the Lord. And, it, and it's a vertical uh, destination, right? And so sometimes he has us stop. And what do we do in those moments when, when we looked at Elijah, when he's in front of the king and he says, the God whom I serve, you know, and he, and he declares that, that the Lord is God and it's who he serves. Do we, do we say that only in, in the presence of other people or do we say it when we're cut off, when we're by ourselves? when the brook has run dry. What are we declaring in those moments? So that was really what last week's about. And we're gonna piggyback on that this morning and continue the story of Elijah where we left off. And what we're gonna find out this morning is that our brook is not the only brook that has dried up. And we're gonna talk about how my purpose is your purpose and your purpose is the person next to you's purpose and all of our purposes are about each other. It's about coming together as one and, and, and walking in our purposes together for the benefit of one another. And we get so tunnel vision, we have these blinders on, thinking about what we're supposed to be doing that we forget about everything else around us. And what we need to understand is that our purpose involves other people. It's about other people as well. You know, Jesus, when asked what is the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God and then also to what love others as yourself. And no, nowhere in there say, it says, love you some you. That's the greatest commandment. But that's how we treat our purpose a lot is how does this benefit me? What is it about me with all this? And what we need to be asking is, God, what about you and what about everybody else? And so we're gonna discuss that this morning. We're gonna pick up right where we left off last week in 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse Eight. It says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. When I read this verse, uh, the first thing that jumped out to me was those first four words. Then the Lord said, emphasis on then. And this is kind of, just bear with me this morning. We might go down some rabbit trails. We'll just see where the Holy Spirit leads us. But that word then, it's, it's a powerful word because what that tells me is that it, God was going to wait until the brook dried up for Elijah before he spoke to him to go. And I just wanna say that to some of y'all in there this morning need to hear this. God is very patient. You can't outweigh him. He works without any constraints, okay? That idea right there is such a deep, theological statement that God works without any constraints. One of the major ones that he works without is time. We work best with the constraint of time. Walt Disney said, everybody needs a deadline. And we do. I mean, think about that. If whether you've been in school or you're at work or wherever with your spouse, you know, I need that, mar that, mo yard, that yard 
mode, sorry, I try that again, by noon today. Okay, I better get on it. But if, if, if the wife goes to the husband or the husband goes, I need this done. Okay, and there's no deadline. Well, I'll get to it when I get to it. You know, same with your boss. Well, if you could just do this sometime. Okay, well, sometime can mean something different to you than me. So we work best under the constraints of time. God does not work at all with time. And so he can outweigh us. And there are some of us in here that need to hear that God will outweigh you. I'm serious. And he will wait till the brook dries up to get your attention. And so we might be spending all this time trying to do this or do that and we're spinning our wheels and we're getting frustrated with the Lord. All be, and he's just sitting there. He's just waiting. He was waiting to get your attention. And he'll wait all the way till the brook dries up. And then we'll say, okay, God, now I turn to you. And then the Lord said, go. So if that's you this morning, you need to give it up. You need to give it up. God will outlast you, I promise. He does it every time. Okay. Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sinai. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Okay, so uh, last week we talked about Cherith. That's where we found Elijah, and that meant to cut off. That's what Cherith means. It means to, to cut off, which is what he did with Elijah. He cut him off from everybody and everything and every distraction. And you would think that after going to a place like that, when God says, okay, now Elijah, go, He's thinking, all right, white sand beaches, clear water. I'm going to sit on a lounge chair. Someone's going to bring me like a drink into the pineapple thingy with the umbrella and the straw and all that good stuff. Because I just, I was just in a place that was tough, getting fed by the ravens, drinking out of the brook. All right, time for somewhere nice. Well, God sends him to a place called Zarephath, which is a Gentile town. It's in the area where Jezebel was from, the very woman who was after him. It's a hundred miles from Cherith. Think about that journey. After getting fed by ravens and drinking out of a brook, now he's saying, okay, travel a hundred miles. Not exactly in the best physical shape. And the kicker is this. The meaning of Zarephath is a crucible, which means a place of severe testing. So after Elijah has gone to Cherith and done what we would think was his testing, he now sends him to Zarephath. All, keep in mind, while being a fugitive. I mean, he's being hunted, and he's got to travel 100 miles, not exactly laying low. So a tough assignment, but the amazing thing is, as we see in verse 10, it says, so he went to Zarephath. He goes. Why? Because while he was in Cherith, he had learned to hear the voice of the Lord, and he had learned to trust the voice of the Lord. You see, what we also need to understand is when we spend that time where we're stopped, where we're waiting, God is pouring into us. And when it finally gets to that point where he says, then the Lord said to us, we need to understand that we are now different people. We are different. We are more attuned to his voice. We know him. We're closer to him. So when he says to go do something that seems to make no sense at all, our response is like Elijah. We go. Because we know the voice of the Lord. We know the voice of the Lord. It says, so he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little 
water in a cup. As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. Okay, so this is, a, this is interesting little interaction he has with this woman right here. He sees her at the well. God has told him before he went, there's going to be a widow. I've, I have instructed her. Okay, it's, it's, it's like it's already happened. I have instructed a widow there to feed you, as in it's already been done. He sees this widow gathering sticks. And, you know, we need, what we need to know about this widow is that she was incredibly poor. Okay, I mean, super poor. One, if she's a widow, chances are back then, that, that was it. That was her support, right? That was her finances, was her husband. And she had nothing. On top of that, it was a famine, so food was sparse. But she was incredibly poor, and Elijah sees her, and rather than going, you know, God, you, you sure this is the one? Is there, an, is there another widow around here I should ask? He sees her immediately, doesn't introduce himself. I say, hey, but, hey, I'm Elijah, nice to meet you. I'm a prophet of the Lord. Uh, he told me to come here and that you've instructed him to feed me. You know, so I'm just going to preface all this by saying that first. You know, so he doesn't do that. He just goes to her and says, hey, can you get me some water? And as she's walking, says, oh, can you get me a bite of bread too? And what I think is interesting about this is Zarephath is, is the place of testing, but I think the testing here shifted a little bit. I think it, was, it went from testing Elijah to now the test is on her. And so as Elijah is walking out his purpose and his obedience to the Lord, he is now involved someone else in this. You see, his purpose is to involve other people and to bless them, and to serve them. And that is our purpose, to exalt the Lord and to serve other people. And so as he's walking out this purpose, he sees this woman and he immediately obeys because he knows the voice of the Lord and he trusts the voice of the Lord, even when it doesn't make sense. And he says, give me the water. She says, okay to the water. And then, oh, by the way, here's the test. Give me a bite of bread too. Let's see what happens. But she said, verse 12, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just, listen to this, I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. That is the state of this woman. You think God saw her? and saw her plight. So what does he do? He sends Elijah. You see, it wasn't about Elijah. It was about the widow. But they're both fulfilling their purpose here. You see how it works together? She's hurting, Elijah is learning, so he sends Elijah to minister to this woman. It's an incredible thing here, and I really believe, as I, as, as I did, this isn't a commentary that I read, this is just my own take, you can study it for yourself and totally, uh, you know, prove me wrong next time you see me if you want, but my take on this is this, in verse 9 it says that the Lord had instructed her, like he's already done it, and as we, as we hear her words and her desperation here, I swear by the Lord, your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. It's like she's almost talking to, through Elijah to God. That's, that's at least how I picture this. It's like this, this God that has is, that is, that is put this unction in me, this, this, this idea that I need to feed you, he, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I have nothing. Translation, my brook is dried up. 
to the point where I am about to die. Let's think about this woman. Her, her husband is dead. She's got no crops because of the famine. And now, as a mother, as a mother, she is about to prepare her son's final meal and then just, she's gonna have to watch him die. That is a brook dried up. Suddenly, Elijah and Cherith being fed by birds and drinking out of a brook doesn't really seem all that bad, does it? Yet when we only focus on our purpose in our brook and we have these blinders on only to ourselves, we're blind to the person around the corner waiting for us to minister to them because their brook is drier than ours. We get so obsessed with our own purpose that we forget about the widow in the town next to us that is in a much more desperate situation. And if we continue to get out of our own selves and not focus on ourselves so much, we'll, we'll, we'll see that happen. And I'm sure if I ask you to raise your hand, you've been in that place where you stepped out, said, man, you know what? I actually don't have it all that bad. It's one of the testimonies that we hear from our students who go on the mission trip every single year. You know, these problems that I wallow in, you know, it's nothing compared to what these kids have. And then suddenly, they're changed and they minister to them. They're fulfilling their purpose by going. So that's what she says. But God sent Elijah. You know, because Elijah had spent that time in Cherith, because he knew the voice of the Lord because he trusted God, he was able to see her heart, but not her circumstances. Elijah was able to see her heart and how miserable she was and how desperate she was in the place that she was in, but he was able to ignore the circumstances. And what I mean by that was he wasn't deterred by them to the point where he said, wow, this is really bad. I guess, I guess there's nothing I can do. He saw through the circumstances, saw her heart, but knew that God could move and that God had brought him there for a very specific reason. And he says it in verse 13. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. You think she needed to hear that? Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread first for me. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord the God of Israel says. There it is again. Remember, she doesn't worship the Lord. They've got other gods there. But here again, just like we started when, when, when Elijah is talking to the king, remember? And he basically tells the king that God is in charge. You can worship Baal all you want, but God's in charge. This is, she's, he's saying the same thing to this widow. Isn't that awesome that the message to a king is the same as the message to a widow? The, and the message is this. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. Oh, that's what the God of Israel says? Okay. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Listen, church, and I'm speaking to myself here. If only we had that confidence that Elijah had to speak to the people in our lives that don't worship the Lord, that everything around them is terrible, but we've spent time by the brook. We've spent time being fed by the ravens. We've spent time being cut off and we can say boldly, this is what you think, but this is what God says. Amen. 
boldly. Ignoring the circumstances, seeing the heart, but quoting scripture. But it takes time. It takes understanding and hearing the voice of the Lord and trusting and obeying him. Walking in our purpose, but not being blind to our own that we see the other people around us. Because my purpose is to bless you and your purpose is to bless a person next to you and all of us bless one another. And that is how we grow. And that is how these, these seats are filled. When we can say boldly to the widow, this is what the Lord God says. Amen? Come on. Let's keep reading in verse 17. Sometime later, there that, there that phrase is again. Remember we talked about that last week? Sometime, there's, there's that God not working in constraints of time. Sometime later, who knows how long Elijah had been hanging out in this widow's house. Sometime later, it could be a couple weeks, we don't know. But again, I think, I always err on the side of longer than we think. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally, he died. Rather blunt there. She's lost her husband, and now she's lost her son. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? You have come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied. He ignored the circumstances. He saw her heart. He ignored the circumstances. And he says this. Let, let, let your mind paint a picture of what's happening here. Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms. Can you just picture her clinging onto him with every little bit of strength that she had left? Carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid his body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? You see, now this stranger that he met at the well has now become someone that he cares about very deeply. It's interesting how that works when we serve one another. Verse 21, and he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Yeah. I'm gonna let that sink in for a second. I'm gonna have the band come back up. And what I want us to understand as we close out this series is God wants to use you in ways bigger than you ever thought. What has happened here with this story, in this moment, with this widow and this dead son is unprecedented up until this point. This is the first time in the Bible that there's any mention of a dead body being raised. And the point is this, Elijah had no frame of reference here. He wasn't able to go back and, and look at the story of Noah or Abraham or anybody that came before him and say, see God, you did this for them, just do it again. He was asking for something that had never been done. Never. Completely unprecedented. But Charles Swindoll says this. He says, our obedience matched with God's faithfulness is a combination that leads to miracles. 
Our obedience in God's faithfulness leads to miracles. I don't know about you all, but I wanna see some miracles happen in this place. I wanna see some things that we haven't dreamt up yet because they haven't happened yet. You know, not looking to what was before us, but what is ahead. We've seen what's happened before us, but the unprecedented stuff is yet to happen. It's yet to happen, but that doesn't mean we can't ask God for it. But we have to walk in our purposes. We have to spend time by the brook. We have to take the blinders off and look at the people around us that are hurting and say, I'll go there, even though it doesn't make sense. It's not easy. The purposes of our life can be very hard. Jesus said himself, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. How do we do this? How, how do we sit there and say, God, how do, I, I'm not there yet. John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's about spending time with Jesus, getting in his word, praying. We, we see here this prayer that Elijah prayed was not this eloquent, amazing thing. It says he cried out to God. You gotta start crying out to God spending time with him so that we know his voice. So when he says, go to this person, and it doesn't seem to make any sense on paper, we go. When it says, ask this person of this, we ask. We don't say, God, I don't know about that. If we look at the story of Elijah, it's this great crescendo of events. He meets with the king. He goes to Cherith. He goes to Zarephath. The oil and the flour don't run out. The boy is raised from the dead. Then he goes to Mount Carmel, fire from heaven down. Then then we find him under that broom bush. God says, go. It may be the most powerful thing that he does. In all this time, he takes on a successor, Elisha, and he pours into him, raises somebody else up so that they can continue God's work not his. Elijah understood that what, who he was was a servant of God. And this was his time, but eventually it was going to be up. So the, but the work had to continue. So what does he do? He pours into somebody else. So the story of Elijah is him just saying, okay, okay, God, you want me to go here? I'll go. My purpose is to be obedient to you and trust your faithfulness to me and to expect the miracles to happen. So as we, as we close this series, I wanna spend some extra time just in worship. We're gonna spend some extra time in worship. We are gonna have our pastors and elders come up to pray for you. I, I wanna say this really quick. And I, my job when I get home on Sundays is to, is, to, is to preach as best I can the word that God's put on my heart. And after that, we're here to walk with you, but we can't force you to respond. I can't, I can try and pull you out of your seat. Some of you I might be able to, others probably not, but I can't do it for you. And I really, Pastor Howard had a great sermon Wednesday night talking about putting a demand on the Lord, on the Holy Spirit and expecting him to move. But we gotta move too. We gotta move too.
And I, I'll be honest with you all. I feel like we've kind of been just hitting our head against the wall a little bit here. Like there's, there's this, I, I want to go forward. I want to respond, but the seat's just so comfortable. I mean, honestly, like I'm waiting for the breakout to happen every week. And it's like, oh, I guess not this week. And I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to, you know, create anything that isn't the Lord. I'm really not. It's, uh, it, whether you come up and get prayed for or worship is, again, it doesn't affect. I know that the Lord loves me the same no matter what. Okay? I'm, I'm serious. But I, I, I want it for you. And I want it for me. I want it for this church. Our obedience. That's the first part of the equation. It's our obedience. And then God's faithfulness in our obedience will lead to miracles. But we can't just say, God, do it all for me. We gotta get up. We gotta move. We gotta respond and hear his voice and say, I'm gonna go. Even if that's just 20 feet up to the altar. It might be to your coworker tomorrow. It could be to your, a family member where we stop paying so much attention to the circumstances, look at their heart, but speak the word of the Lord and be bold about it. God wants to move. I know he wants to move in this place, but he will wait. He will wait. And he's got all the time in the world. So what do we wanna do? We wanna out, try and outweigh him or we just wanna respond. Let's respond. Amen. So why don't we stand up and I'm gonna pray. And as I do, the pastors and elders can come up. And if there is anything at all that you need prayer for today, anything, if God's just tugging on your heart, you came in, you're like, God, I just, I need, I need this from you. Come up. We're not gonna put a label on it again this morning, but we believe in the power of prayer. It's why we do it every week. It's not out of religious obligation. We believe in the power of prayer. So come up if that's you this morning. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the one who died on the cross for you so you could fulfill a greater purpose in your life than you ever thought possible, come up. Come up because he's got something for you. He's got something for you. Father, thank you so much, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Father, that your plans for us are greater than we could ever imagine. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to take off our blinders that are having us just look at ourselves and that we would see the people around us that that need help, whose brooks are dried up more than ours. Even if they don't believe in you, God, they will. That they will because of what we do, how we speak into their lives, God. And Lord, I, I pray, Jesus, that in this moment, in the days to come, that we would be obedient to whatever you are calling us to in that very moment and that your faithfulness will shine through and that we will see miracles happen. Thank you, Lord. We love you, God. You are amazing. You're amazing.